Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Welcome to a special double episode featuring Josh Lorimer. Josh got started in the D&D podcasting world with Sneak Attack, one of the first actual play podcasts to make it big. In the show, Josh played Greg Stronghammer, a surly dwarf fighter, and also helped edit and produce the show. Nowadays, Josh is working on The Titans of Altera, an actual play podcast based on his homebrew world, which features amazing lore, epic battles with stone golems and monstrous titans, and a lot of laughs from his all-family cast. Josh and I talked about the inherent worth of anything that you create, Kickstarter do's and don'ts, and his very best advice on being an amazing dungeon master. Enjoy! Hello everyone, I'm Josh. I'm the dungeon master and creator of the Titans of Altera. If you are a fan of D&D podcasts, you might be more aware of me as the uh, curmudgeon dwarf, Graic Stronghammer on the podcast Sneak Attack. So i uh, that's kind of how I got started back in 2015 and then uh, created Titans. I'm a red-bearded, jolly old soul i i basically feel like like if you if you don't know what i look like imagine someone who is slowly becoming santa claus like i am i'm in the middle range you know the beard is still red but the belly's there the round glasses are there the rosy cheeks you know i'm 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 on my way <laughs> i'm really looking forward to the time lapse of you and then tim allen next to each other and and what that looks like i like to think of the stop motion one the uh the claymation santa claus i don't know if you ever saw that where like he's, he spends a decent amount of time with the red beard. Like I was like, Hey, maybe that'll be me one day. And lo and behold, you know, that is me. Nice. So tell us how you got into D and D. Basically I came up with D and D. Not really. I came up with this idea that it'd be really fun to play a game where everybody played a role and uh, you took turns taking actions and each character had kind of different abilities and all this stuff. And my friend said, that's Dungeons and Dragons. I said, but yeah, I don't think so because, you know, I grew up in the evangelical church and everybody told me that it was devil worship. So uh, I don't think I would invent devil worship. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that's when I realized that uh, D&D's around for a long time. In fact, most of the entertainment and movies and books and video games that I love were all inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. So lo and behold, I, I really didn't invent it. I just was like, how can I create a role playing game? and then realized role-playing games already exist. So, uh, yeah, and it was wonderful. It was a great realization. I then, then that started me on a journey, I think, of 2012, 2013, and uh, been, been running on it ever since. I absolutely love it. How soon after you started playing and realizing how fun it was did you decide, all right, I'm going to take my step behind the screen and start running the game for everybody? I think a good year or two. We had a good group of friends that we played D&D with for a while, and it wasn't until that group kind of had like pe- petered out that I even thought to DM Reed, who is the dungeon master for Sneak Attack. He he was my DM for he's the one who introduced me. He's the guy who kind of popped my bubble there, like kind of like, oh, I invented Dungeons Dragons. All right. So he showed me that um, and was the first DM. And when that campaign kind of ended, uh, it ended the way a lot of campaigns do. It just kind of puttered out like it just people got busy. And so you just started meeting less and less. Start, you know, uh, it was kind of a sad end, and I think he was a little burnt out on dungeon mastering. 
but I, I had the kick, man. I never missed a week. Anytime we got together, I was right there. And so Reed basically was like, Hey man, if you still want to play and you want to get a group together, I know you'll show up. So like, let's do it. So he and I got a, a few other friends together and we started another group that I then DM'd. Um, and, uh, that was like, uh, right at the advent of fifth edition. So like, as soon as like fifth edition was coming out, that's when we, when we started, I think 20, 2014, but yeah, as soon as that came out, we got the player book, player handbook, jumped into it. And that's when I started DMing. Do you remember your first session or two, what that was like? And then do you remember kind of what adventure you were running for everybody? Was it published? Was it homebrew? Something in between? So I, it was the very first D&D game that I DM'd was homebrew. And very foolishly, I had everybody create their characters individually, separately. And so uh, without communicating with anyone, I was just like, hey, just create your character and let's meet up and just because I just wanted to get to the game. Like, Let's get right to I didn't want to sit down, everybody rolling dice, figure out who they're going to be. You know, that sounded like wasted time to me, which is such a green thing to do as a DM. Uh, so, yeah, so everybody shows up to the table as uh, magical elves who are Batman. You know, like everybody had like a, a dark past that they didn't want to share. So like. As soon as I realized everyone was elves, I was so disappointed. I was like, nobody picked these. These were all fairly well D&D acquainted players. They could all DM themselves. So like it was very gracious in terms of I didn't have to worry about like teaching anybody the rules, but they all min maxed and created like super powerful elf characters. And then we're in like this this wagon at the very beginning of the game going into this big arena and nobody's talking. Here's the deal. We're all friends. We all know how to hang out. We're all goofing. And they all get into character. Dead silence at the table. It was the most uncomfortable thing for me. And so the wagon, like I had the wagon driver just go, so uh, what brings you guys to the city? And literally two of them go, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank thankfully, Reed Reed is one of the players, and I think he was he was the quickest to to his credit. He was not a full elf. He was a half elf. He was a paladin as well. So he was magical, but also beefy. And uh, they weren't all squishy characters. So we, it, it ended up turning out in the end. It was a it was a super fun campaign, like an absolute blast. Lots of laughs. Very fun memories. And, and a lot of the world building that I did in that game, uh, I ended up using it. It informed a lot of the decisions I made for Titans. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that in a bit. because I want to chat more about that. What are, this is the whole point of the podcast, right? Like the, this is the main question. What are some of the worst mistakes you've made as a DM? And then <laughs> what lessons can everyone take away from that? Worst things I've done as a DM. I mean, the worst thing any DM can do is put their desire for the game ahead of their care for their players. You know what I mean? Like that's like the, I think the cardinal sin is where you just don't care about the people at the table. You just want to do your thing, tell your story, and everyone else is just in the way. That's the worst thing a DM can do. But I've never knowingly done that. I, I don't like that. And so I, I made a few mistakes. Letting everybody create their characters, not having a session zero, that was a mistake. The other thing, I, I did a total party kill once. That was a mistake. It was at the end of a session, so we kind of were just like, all right, you know, oh well. Like, I got to dip my toes in mass murder, so like, that's fine. Like, that's, uh, you know... <laughs> Nobody was angry about it. They all kind of went out in, in, in glory. But, uh, you know, you learn how to properly 
challenge the t- the party, you know? There's been a myriad of mistakes, but honestly, so long as the goal is just to have fun, hang out, very few Dungeon Master mistakes are going to get in the way, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. What are some of your favorite monsters, NPCs, encounters you've thrown at the party? And it could be part of, you know, the, the podcast you've recorded. It could be home games. Favorite NPCs. Oh, oh. So there are these in the monster manual. There's this little elemental enemy that I, I feel like I rarely see get used because they're not very strong, but they're called the Mephits. They are an absolute blast. Like if you look at the Mephits, they're they're easy to kill, very, very small, squishy enemies, but they have elemental effects. And some of those effects only happen when they get killed. And so what what I one of my favorite dungeons I ever made was an elemental dungeon that had layers to it and every layer was a different combination of elements with the methods involved so like one layer was the smoke and mud methods one layer was like the ice and the water methods and so like the magma and you know wind and so like i i tried to like really and and there's a there's just an absolute you can do so much fun stuff with them even if the environment isn't necessarily like involved but i love monster encounters that aren't just about a bad monster, but are also about the the room you're in and the space. The Dungeon Master Sneak Attack, Reed, my, my good friend, my buddy, he's great at creating environmental challenges. Like the, you're, you're in the middle of a siege, you're fighting this giant troll, but the thing we all forget about is that randomly siege weapons are being fired. And so occasionally a big fiery ball will land somewhere and he rolls percentage dice to figure out where it's going to land. And so, you know, out of nowhere, someone just gets smashed with a big fiery ball. It just creates some serious chaos. My favorite though, this is where, and I think Reed would even say this, but the things I love the most are really hashing out my NPCs. I love villains. I love dynamic villains that have a lot of personality or quirky very themselves and love being themselves those are fun like i love a villain that you love to hate i love when it's satisfying for the players to defeat the villain when they clearly are enraged by this character but not in a in a real way but in a player way you know like there's a way to get your players legitimately angry at you as a villain you know it's like oh you have a familiar that's a little bunny i'm the guy that will kill it like don't do that. Like, you're just going to make him actually angry. But no, like, make the guy who, like, says he hates bunnies and he likes to to force them all to dance forever. You know what I mean? With magic. Like, something weird like that. But, <laughs> you know, just, like, make him awful. Make him an awful, annoying person in a funny way. You know, he's, he's imperiling the world that they live in. But other than that, he's kind of entertaining. You know, I like those villains that are love being bad guys. Yeah, those, those are fun for me. I could dive into that stuff all day. I love I love villain NPCs. Probably too much. It's good to have lots of different villains for different parts of the story, though, because then it's not just them chasing after one person, and when they kill them, you're like, now what's next? <laughs> I I do get very disappointed when a villain can't talk to the party, though. Like, that, that always bums me out. Uh, in season one of, of Titans of Altera, there's a little villain they encounter in a cave called Miscreant. He's, he's a golem-esque character refers to himself as miscreant it's very dodgy in his speech and they get creeped out by him right away but it's like just so much fun like for me if they had just gone in and sucker punched him knocked him out held person and just did away with him that wouldn't have been any fun for me but the the fact that there was dialogue interaction 
they had like they were creating ideas about who this guy is well is he okay is it bad and then when it turns out to be bad it's like oh no he's bad it's that's really fun yeah it is i admittedly stole miss grant from you i didn't name him that but i still like the voices and the mannerisms for one of my characters in my game and they had the same experience except for he turned out to be good and not bad but they were super sketched out with him and they're like oh man like what is this deal why is he talking like this what is he doing oh you know it's funny i didn't know he would be creepy when i came up with him uh-huh I, I came up with him. It was just like part of the world building. It's like, okay, here's this 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 being that has been very lonely in this cave, has been connected to some kind of ancient entity that is influencing him. And so that all of the speech pattern, the the weirdness to him was all just part of his backstory for me. I was I was just as pleasantly surprised when they all started getting creeped out by him. So like as soon as I realized the players were like getting bad vibes off this guy. I was like, I'm going to totally lean into that as hard as I can and, <laughs> and, and just play it out. So yeah, it was, it was a blast. It was, it was a lot of fun to listen to too. I'm glad. I'm glad. Moving on to kind of improv type stuff. Then what is one of your favorite memories of improv from your games? It could be combat. It could be role play. Okay. Before the podcasts, honestly, one of our first sessions ever of D&D, Reed is the DM, and we get this idea that we're going to uh, infiltrate the bad guy's castle by taking out a few of their a few of their their guards. Do it, we're doing a stormtrooper, you know what I mean? We're doing a Star Wars episode four, you know, dressing up as the the troopers and taking in prisoners. And so we march into the front. We we take out a couple guys, put on all their gear. Only one. This is like a human settlement, so only like one of us is a human. And the guy who's a human is probably in real life, not incredibly like improvisational. He's not a great like think think on his feet uh, public speaker. At least he he wasn't at the time. And I, we've probably told this story a dozen times on Sneak Attack. It's my favorite memory is we're sitting there and Reed, who actually can cut quite an intimidating figure. Uh, he's just a big guy. He's he's pretending to be this queen of this realm or whatever. And she's saying, "What are you doing here?" And He's at this point, we've now like made it past the front gates. Some of us are in fake chains. Some of us are cloaked. Other people are garbed in armor. And here's our only guy who can talk. Uh, who's n- not only is his character not charismatic, he's not incredibly charismatic. And so visibly sweating is sitting over here. <laughs> like real in real life. Yeah. In real life, visibly sweating, going like, we have um I ha- uh dear uh le- Le- Leah, we we have a uh, and then he forgot her name. I remembered it. So then I under my breath at the table, I go, "It's Elena," and I go something like that. <laughs> it was just, it was. I think we've laughed more just recounting those events than anything else. It was so funny to see, and it and of course it all failed. Like it, it was, it was a total disaster. We were running for our lives at that point, and um and sadly. Uh, he did not continue playing with us for very long. <laughs> uh, we're well, we're still we're still friends, but I but I it was a it was a funny it was a fantastic memory. It's one of the best memories I have of D and D. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it bled into reality. The I mean, that's D and D, right? It's all about the the shared experiences. It's so wild to me that like we're having a an imaginary story that we're all sharing. But it's creating like the level of humor and memory that you would get from 
like a camping trip. You know what I mean? Like you're, it, it's like the same level, like your, your brain, all those synapses in your brain, they're firing the exact same way. You're creating the same kind of experience and a shared memory and laughs that like we all, we all still share together. It's like really special. Fantastic. It's a fantastic thing. We're going to pivot now to the podcast stuff. So to start off with, you started off your podcasting experience with your friends and your wife playing Sneak Attack. You were also, you were a player and you were an editor. It really has an amazingly loyal fan base and it has influenced a ton of different people, including a couple of my guests, my previous guests to get into podcasting, you know? So what what do you think made it so special and why do you think it has such a lasting influence on people you know even five six seven years later uh, it doesn't feel real if i'm being completely honest like so i i still have a hard time understanding it you know the impact of sneak attack it's hard for me to even think about it as an impact sorry to the rest of the cast i don't feel like we're anything special we did something that we loved and we shared it and people found it and i i think that's super cool and i mm-hmm. i don't feel like there's i i like we can hold any kind of like significant extra special claim to like why we deserve to have an audience or why we you know like I'm glad when I hear that our influence has been positive. I hope that's what it continues to be. That's like the best thing you could hope for with anything you make is that it brings uh, something better into the world. It brings something good into the world, you know, a net positive. And if it's encouraging people to make stuff, man, that's the bee's knees. That's ap- that's like totally stellar. That's That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. It's my favorite thing to learn. When someone says like, your show is why I made a show, I'm like, Come on. Like, that's awesome. More people do that. Like, that's just not not because 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 we get to own any of their getting to make something, but because they make something like that's like the uh, if I could just like, you know, put my my two sausage hands on on everybody's face and just go, you can do the thing you want to do. You know what I mean? You want to make that thing? You can make it. This is my philosophy. That's awesome. And now a word from our sponsor. If you've been thinking about getting into the podcasting game, but don't have a large budget or a ton of industry expertise already, Anchor.fm is a great place to get started. Why use Anchor? It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can start monetizing your show immediately with no minimum audience size or reach. Anchor really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get back to the show. Titans of Altera, then, we, you've talked about it a couple times. That is your current project. So you alluded to the fact that it's loosely based off your first homebrew world, but tell us how it went from idea to reality. And then for anyone who's not familiar, give them your best pitch about what the show's about. Like my, my favorite way to pitch the show is to say it's basically like Godzilla meets Voltron meets Dungeons and Dragons. I'm a big nerd for the monster genre. Godzilla, King Kong, Power Rangers, Voltron. I love that stuff. It's what we grew up on, right? Yes. Ultraman. Like it's just there's a lot of really fun, really campy stuff that's like just hilarious and awesome at the exact same time. Uh, like when you see Godzilla do like a, a two foot kick on a big mech, there's no practical reality to that, but it is 
the most cool thing. So I love that stuff. I mean, even when I was a kid, like the idea of a team of people like coming together, fighting a monster around a city, it just is so fun to me. And so I started to kind of play around with the idea with Reed during like a bonus uh, a bonus podcast we made for Sneak Attack. Like in 2017, he and I were kind of just, we were just pitching stuff back and forth. Most of our bonus podcasts were just the two of us just sitting down, having conversations we would if we weren't being recorded. Mm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was like, I was like, you know what I think would be fun? Like Power Rangers, Dungeons and Dragons. And so eventually we've made a few podcasts for Wizards of the Coast, some of their like podcast events back in the day. And, um, and I got to Dungeon Master, one of them, which was kind of the initial testing ground for that kind of idea. I based like each of the the players around like an elemental Power Ranger kind of vibe. It was a fun campaign with a sneak attack crew, but it taught me a lot about like how I really can't go too crazy with homebrew mechanics. Like you really got to like be careful, like how powerful you make stuff and how wild things are. And if players are made to be overpowered, then there needs to be other things creating tension. And so when when it came time for Titans, it was during the our first hiatus from Sneak Attack. We'd gone three years without a single stop, producing one episode of content every single week, three years straight. Insane. Absolutely insane. Yep. No one should do that. Like it, it, it nearly burned us to the ground. So we're on this hiatus. And, you know, of course, the glutton for punishment that I am, uh, it didn't. T- it took me maybe a month before I was like antsy to make more content, and so I I have a chat with Aram Varchi, and he he's the the creator of God's Fall, another really good D and D podcast out there. He's been very he's been very kind. Uh, we we started around the same time, and uh, and in during our chat, I'm kind of just telling him I'm like I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm I'm a little aimless right now, and he literally asked me. He goes, "Why aren't you doing your own show?" And I was like, "I could." just do my own show. So I, I, that's when I was like, okay, I've always wanted to have a game like this. Like at, at that time, Titans of Altera, the idea of like the team mechs fighting monsters was something I thought maybe I'd write like a booklet for and sell it on like DMs Guild or something like that. But now that I was thinking about implementing it in a podcast, it became this whole other thing for me. Did it take some convincing to Kelsey? Here's what's crazy, right? So my wife, she's in sneak attack. She said, if you're DM and I'm in, and she goes, but she goes, honestly, I think the only people I'd want to do it with would be Eric, Aaron, and Ricky. And so we're sitting down. We're like, okay, that's our dream team for that podcast, our family. And so I didn't set out to make it a family podcast, but we're just sitting down going like, if we could spend time, like more time with anybody, who would we want to spend more time with? And those are the three people that popped into our heads. None of them would it make sense for. They all have different schedules. Eric at the time had a job where he could be on call at any point in time. Just, just his job could call in. And my, my, my brother had a little girl. So he was like, it was kind of inconvenient for him. I sent the message out to everybody said, here's what I'm thinking. Would you guys be interested? And I basically told Kelsey, I was like, honestly, if, if they can't all do it, then I probably just won't make the show. I'll probably, you know, just hang out, wait till sneak attack starts back up. Lo and behold, everybody could, the stars legitimately aligned. And so we, I was like, all right, we're doing this. It's happening. And it's been a blast ever since. That's that that was the impetus, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been an absolute joy to hang out with them and spend more time with my family. Speaking of family and your games, uh, two my my two games. One is on hiatus for the summer, but they're like sixty percent and fifty percent family members of mine, right? So I'm familiar with this. Right on. 
what makes playing with family members fun? And then what are some of the frustrations about playing with family members that you've had to work through? I mean, I think that clearly like familiarity is, is always going to bring with it an ease and a challenge, but it really has to do with your family dynamic. <laughs> like That's true. Like, I think for some people, they might be like a found family. I, I, for me, when I think family, and this is part of the, I, I'm very, I'm very blessed that I, I really enjoy my family. I really love the family I got to grow up with. I enjoy hanging out with my parents. I enjoy hanging out with my siblings and I love my wife's family. So it's like, I really, I really lucked out in just having a really tight family that I enjoy. And for me, I would think like, if that's what we're talking about, like a group of people that are, that are some of your favorite people in the world, you, that are the most comfortable and easy to hang out with that, that know you really well. The challenges are the audience doesn't always have the context that your family does. Like one of the one of the things we didn't ever consider that ended up becoming kind of a, a challenge for Kelsey and I in Sneak Attack was how comfortable she was jabbing me, right? Like like uh, making jokes and and goofing on me and kind of being being that kind of like extra critical. That's part of our friendship and our like goof relationship. So like the when she says when she says, "Oh, you're being so stupid," that has never been an insult in our house. Like it's always just been me being obnoxious to elicit that response from her. You know what I mean? So like I, I egg it on cause, cause I enjoy it. It cracks me up. We get a kick out of each other and we love hanging out. And that's part of our friendship. People didn't know that online and we didn't make it clear from the get go that we we're married. So a lot of people were like, why is Kelsey so mean to Josh? I don't like women that are loud. Like it was, it was a lot of kind of annoying feedback like that. But part of it was because they didn't know who we were. Like there were, we we had a, we've had a lot of feedback that was like, "Oh, they're married." <laughs> like I've heard, I heard some comments that were like, "If I was playing D and D with my husband, that's exactly what I would say." But like they just didn't know. So the um, the context is important. Helping your the audience to know that that familial connection is there is important if you're if you're doing a a, a podcast game. But for just the game itself, some of it is like. I don't command the authority that a DM really should command at our at our table because it's family. You know what I mean? Like the when when Reed says everybody shut up, we need to get stuff done. We all shut up because it's just Reed. You know what I mean? He's like he's a powerhouse. That's the guy. When I say that at the table, it's ah, Josh has shut up. You know, it's like the it's goof. Like we're you know the and it's not disrespect. It's just familiarity. It's just that's what like we are we're family and so um that's our that's part of our our dynamic yeah i feel like every episode someone's breaking out in song and the other people finish the lyrics and you know all yes. sorts of stuff that happens when you're hanging out with your family lots of there's there's a lot of show tunes in titans of all terror <laughs> i love it for that though like i said it, it definitely feels like you're just sitting there and, and watching a family play together or like you know playing with your family so but I, I was very intentional of making it clear that that's who our cast was at the beginning of the show. Like, this is a family that I'm playing with my family, you know, the to help create that context for anybody that didn't have it. Yeah. I wanted to note what you were talking about, um, how people were commenting on, on your play with Kelsey and Sneak Attack. There is a, an extra episode that you all recorded where yeah. you actually talk about that. And she gets really vulnerable with everybody about how it felt and, and that kind of thing. And that really, like, I had noticed it and I don't know, it, it didn't really bother me, I guess. But that really was like a gut-wrenching feeling 
when I realized how much effect it had had on it had had on her, you know, and what what do you do when you get criticism like that as a creator from people you don't know? You know, how do how do how have you found is the best way to handle that kind of feedback and that criticism? Do you try not to look at it? Do you let it not affect you? You know, what 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 do you do to not let it bog you down? So I'm a I'm a mutant. I'm a mutant human being. So like uh, one of my favorite reviews of Sneak Attack is by uh, a person named Prairie Girl. <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, it is one of our which Sneak Attack doesn't have a lot of one star reviews. <laughs> no, but it it's a one star review that basically says, "I hate Josh. Please tell him to shut up and stop being Josh." Like that's basically the review. Ugh. It's prolific. Like we bring it up in our little friend group all the time. Kelsey got a shirt for got like a little baby outfit at the farmers market for our daughter. Uh, without realizing it, um, she totally had forgotten, but it says Prairie Girl. And the minute I saw it, uh, I took a picture and sent it to the D- to our, our the sneak attack group and we were gone. It was so funny. It's just, uh, so so like I, I, for some reason, thrive on critique and criticism, but that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. And I, I really should care more about what people think about me. <laughs> but but the truth is uh, like, like for Kelsey, for instance, it was very, that stuff is very difficult as a creator for, for you, for, for anybody who's creating stuff, you have to kind of figure out, okay, like one, who am I? Am I a, a broken human being like Josh who can eat up all of the worst criticism and, and still have a good night's sleep? Or a, am I the sort of person who will see a hundred good comments and one really, really mean one. And all I'll think about for the next week is that really mean one. When I sit down to make the new content I'm going to make, all I'm going to be thinking while I'm sitting down is what that person's going to say. You know what I mean? The, the, if, if that's where your head's at, don't engage. You know what I mean? Like to, to, in my mind, make the thing you want to make and screw the comments. Like just like let them be. This goes to kind of some of my personal philosophy about just the internet and online content creation. An audience following does not define the value of a product. The value of the product is in the product is in the, the, the value of a human being is within that human being. And so the letting an audience dictate the quality of what you're putting out there or the validity of what you're putting out there, it's unfortunate because I don't think that, that, that an audience can really decide the value of us as people. To me, if, if you're at a place where you like maybe a healthy middle ground where like you, you want to engage with the, with the critiques but it does it does does become a struggle. I think you have to be able to discern between a bad take and a good faith critique. A bad take is when someone says you're a bad person. I don't like who you are or I don't like what you do. It's like okay, all I can do to appease that critique is just stop existing and stop making things. Yeah. I can't really take that one home and do anything with it other than feel terrible. And we received a lot of that on Sneak Attack. We're not the only show that has received that. That's kind of a, it's part of the darkness of the internet is just some people are really, really comfortable being mean. And I've tried to engage even sometimes. And 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 there's occasionally what I encounter is a person who doesn't realize how much damage they're doing. And so there's a lot of ignorance. Usually when someone says, I don't like what you're making, what they're really saying is, that's not what I would make. And they don't like that you're having any kind of success. Like, I don't like that people are enjoying what you're making because it's not what I would make. That's bad feedback. 
But if you're willing to engage and you want to improve and make a good connection with your audience, there are good faith critiques that come. I've had done, I've had like direct messages, emails, interactions at like conventions and stuff where people like they, they, they're very sincerely bringing up stuff that, that bothered them about something we said, something we were maybe ignorant of in, uh, in, in our show. I think I only did this once. I went back and edited it and edited a, a piece of the show out in Titans. Um, cause I didn't realize what, what had been said was, uh, had a bunch of connotation to it. So we removed it and I never really like followed up to see like, do you feel better now? You know what I mean? Cause to me, the fact that they were willing to message me and say like, they didn't put me on blast. You know what I mean? They didn't make a big, a big post about how terrible I am because we said this thing demanding that I change it. They emailed me directly and were like, Hey, this is me. I've been watching for a while. You guys said this in this episode. And I just wanted you to know, like, there's a history to that statement. I've received more of that than, uh, than I've received the, the hate mail. You know what I mean? The, the Prairie Girls. Like, there's been a lot more of the, the honest critiques. What are some of the things that you learned from Sneak Attack that you decided to change in Titans? You know, what made it even better? What, what learnings did you take that made it such a, an easy-to-listen-to, successful show from the get-go? I mean, coming from an existing audience is always going to help. Like, that's the the truth. Like, we had 80 patrons before our first episode on our Patreon. We had 80 people show up before I even put an episode out. So that kind of speaks to the quality of Sneak Attack. That's that, like, I came into it with a lot of credibility to start with. I think what helped us was understanding, like, we needed to pace ourselves a lot more. Um, I, I came out of Titans with a seasonal structure and an end strategy. I always knew there's going to be three seasons. That was it. I knew I wanted to do yearly seasons. So my plan was to be done after three years with Titans and on to the next, whatever the next thing would be. Those plans changed. But, you know, the I had a wealth of experience in post-production now with audio development. Um, I understood the environment uh, a lot better. Um, like I said, like I knew... I knew how to articulate like this is a family podcast. This is a, you know, my marketing was a little more precise. Sneak Attack has always had like parents and kids listening, but but Titans, it's a, it's a fairly decent chunk of our audience. The last convention I was at, it's been a while now, there was a whole family of Titans fans and they're dressed up. The kids are dressed up as Joan, our cleric. And then one of our characters has a spirit bond named Penny, who's basically like a little a uh, fairy princess with a rhino horn on her forehead. Oh, cute. So her little sister was Penny in a tutu and like wings. And it was like that kind of stuff warms my heart, man. And I've had, I had a dad hunt me down uh, after like a panel. Um, he kind of rushes over me. He goes, Hey, my son loves your characters and uh, your show. Could you just say hi to me and make his day? And I get to sit down with this little dude and just say, Hey man, how's it going? Like that makes my day. That's the some of the absolute best. I, I still get emails from people saying they're listening with their kids. It's like, oh, man, it's like something they can share creatively. It's an absolute joy. Yeah, I can't wait till my son's old enough to actually appreciate listening to things and, and I can share some of this stuff with him. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, it's it's really fun and, and I, I get a kick out of it. So you've kind of mentioned... Uh, the current state of the world and how it's affected things. Uh, Sneak Attack was one of the casualties of the pandemic as far as creative media goes, right? Yeah, yeah. What was it like to have to stop that show mid-story? And then how did it affect your work on Titans as well? 
What's crazy is we had always had kind of an advantage over other shows in the sense that we all played locally. So a lot of D&D podcasts record remotely. They do online chat um, and then bring their audio together for an editor to put together. We were one of the few ones that all met in person and recorded in a single place. When the pandemic happened, it ended up putting us at such a great disadvantage. All these other shows that have been doing remotely for years, they didn't miss a beat. They kept moving lock and step. And so, um, whereas like we were like, we're quarantining now, like we basically couldn't all get together the same way. And by like, I think we were like, we were two months into the pandemic and Reed messaged everybody and was like, when do you guys think we're going to be able to get back together? And we're looking at like the, you know, rates of death are increasing. COVID is getting more intense. My wife's pregnant and like being pregnant puts you at higher risk. And so we were, we were like, I don't know, man, like we really don't know. And so we kind of all had a chat and everybody was kind of in the same place where we were like, if this stuff, if this stuff doesn't kind of clear up in the next like couple months, let's just call it, you know? And so we did. And I think it was harder on our audience than it was on us because we're all still friends. We all still, you know what I mean? Are can talk to each other, or text each other. And, you know, like, so it's like, it's not like we left our lives, but we left their lives. And so the, and for people who kind of feel that friendship connection with a, a showrunner or cast members, that, that can be tough. And so I think it hit the audience hardest, though it was sad. I, we all had like a good cry and took some time to reflect on just what an impact that podcast has had on us. Reed was very intentional about saying that this doesn't mean that we'll never do anything again, but it does mean that we're done. You know, it's like we're definitely done, but it doesn't mean we're always going to be done. You really don't want to put false hope out there for people to be like sitting and waiting. Um, so he really wanted to make it very clear, like this is an end. But he did not make it so clear that it'll never happen. You know, who knows like what 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 will come in the future. But for the most part, it's done. That was tough. To me, I felt like Titans took a much more substantial story blow. With, with Sneak Attack, we had already finished a massive campaign. S volume one of Sneak Attack is, is, in my mind, our magnum opus. It's this beautiful, rare, fascinating thing that happened incredibly organically. Volume two is fun. It's unique, and it's definitely its own thing. But we all kind of felt like it wasn't everything we had hoped it would be. And so when the the story was kind of struggling in some places, Reed, I think, was having wasn't feeling all the way satisfied with it. And so there was the idea to like, well, let's do a comic book to close it out. Let's like Kickstarter, see if we can just like close the story out at least. And so that's how we thought maybe we'd try and gain some closure for the story, because it really was a wonderful world that he had built. Yeah, put tons of time into it. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I still love it. Like, honestly, like that, the, the, the gameplay mechanics, the characters, the world, the races were super fun. And we, we might still come back to it at some point. Who knows? I really, I really wish the comic book would have, would have been made because the, our artist is insane. The, the little, the little cut, like, like couple, like proof of concept pages were like chef kiss were so cool. And that world that Reed built, like the, the universe of planets, it was made for a comic book. I still kind of am, am holding out hope that we see a comic book at some point because it just was beautiful. So I, I would love that. All right, let's talk about the Titans Kickstarter then. The, the purpose was to build out a campaign setting for the world of Altera, including the rules for the Golems and the Titans and you know information about the world, the lore, the peoples, everything. So tell us about that Kickstarter 
and then what you learn from it and if and when you do one in the future, what you might do differently. Yeah. So I know I've got a lot of listeners who are creatives who might be looking to do this kind of thing. So I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Here's the deal. I owed a big apology to our audience with that one because it would have been successful. I, I kind of shot it into the ground halfway through. I was kind of having a crisis of, of faith with, with the book itself. You know, like but when you're, when you're trying to decide between like two things and you go like, I don't know whether to do this or do that. Well, let's just flip a quarter and make the decision. You go, you know, for right, heads left tails you flip it it's 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 tails which means you go left but then you go i actually don't want to go left though so like the the like forcing yourself to randomly pick a direction ends up showing you what you actually wanted to do in the first place frustratingly launching the kickstarter for the world book ended up showing me that i didn't want to launch the kickstarter for the world (laughs) oh okay (laughs) so we're we're halfway into it and all the projections show that we were going to outpace our goal we raised, we were shy, like we were shy of it enough that I probably could have just forked over a couple thousand to get us past the goal if I really wanted to see it happen. With, with Kickstarters, there's a couple things you need. You need an email list of at least 200 people. Do not start a Kickstarter if you don't already have an email list of 200 people. There's no point. And you need to be growing that email list somehow. So like we had a website and on the website, there was a way to sign up for uh, the the newsletters for regular reports about the Kickstarter. I would send emails out constantly so they were going like the beginning of the kickstarter i'd send out an email every day every other day and uh and we post about it about the the kickstarter multiple times on our social media every day facebook twitter um my personal accounts and emails and so you you have to relentlessly annoyingly promote during that time and you're gonna get emails and messages from everybody and their grandmother who wants to join what you're doing especially if if you're projected to have success, you get emails from everybody going like, let's collab, let's do a thing. How can I also be a part of your success? So like I was getting inundated with all those emails, messages. My days were spent just doing upkeep for the Kickstarter. I mean, we set a high goal. And typically if you actually want to like have a successful Kickstarter, you should set a a fairly like the minimum goal and make it very low because you get a whole slew of backers as soon as you're successful. I set it incredibly high. Partially because I think as I was moving into it, I'd already committed to doing it and I was starting to have cold feet about it in the first place. And so I was like, ah, uh, I don't know if I want to make this. Let's just make the goal like insanely big. Let's make it 18,000. You know, we just, we won't do it unless we get 18,000. Cause I'm like, we'll never get $18,000. And, uh, and then it's going like we're, we're in and we're like $8,000, $10,000. I was like, Oh, oh, like we're going to make it like it's like we're actually going to hit this goal. And I started to have like kind of a panic attack of like, I don't know if I want to make this book. I don't know if I want the next year of my life to be about writing a world book. Is that the best way to share this content? Is that the best way to build my world? Is that what I want to do? Is that how I want to have success? Am I just chasing money? Am I, you know, like the, it was really, I was having such a crisis of, of purpose it's a terrible thing to do to an audience. I, I seriously like, I don't deserve the, the audience to love me or, or, or to be as generous and kind as they've been. Hundreds of people raised $14,000 in the course of that. And I had stopped all promotion like two weeks before it ended. Like I'd stopped doing tweets. I'd stopped sending emails. I'd stopped reaching out. And so like slowly the predictions for uh, over those next two weeks, the predictions for success, like started to track down and down and down and down and down until it ended. 
if I had kept promoting, if I had been avid about it, we would have made the goal, I'm certain. But I don't think what we would have made would have been the right thing to make. And so ultimately, I'm glad that it didn't succeed. I hate the way that it happened. There's a lot to learn. That's uh, that's some great advice. I think it takes a lot of self-introspection to realize, ooh, I actually don't want to commit to this. And uh, it's impressive that you were able to come to that conclusion. I wish I would have been more upfront about it. I wish I would have, because I, I should have just shut it down. As soon as I started to have that cold feet, I should have canceled the Kickstarter and just like ended it. I let it put out. I took the coward's way and I was like, well, if it makes if it makes it to the end without me doing any promotion, then I'll just I'll just do it, I guess. This question came from my first guest, Cade, who runs a show called Knocked Prone. He's the one who said, after listening to a few episodes of Sneak Attack, I'm going to do this. So he wanted to know, what do you think makes a successful podcast and what advice would you give to podcasters trying to grow their listeners? A successful show is a very subjective ideal. I think if you want your show to be successful, I define success as something that you're proud of that you also enjoy making. I don't think you'll find a lot of joy in chasing numbers, um, in chasing downloads. I think that's very joy sucking. There may be some people out there who are kind of, who are insane and just like thrive on that. No problem. I got no, no hate for them, man. Go for it. Like be you, be you man. Like, like hustle hard. The, uh, but I really encourage people Make something that if nobody shows up at the end of the day, you will still love having put in the time you did and made the thing that you made. If you can do that, if, we, if you can make something where the journey itself is remarkably satisfying and the final product of your creation is something you'll hang on your wall and be happy with no matter, how, no matter who else sees it, then no matter the size of the audience, you've already, made, you've already succeeded. And, and everything beyond that is, is extra. The, the people showing up, the positive reviews, the word of mouth sharing and all that, all that stuff is like icing on a cake that you made for yourself. That's my advice. I don't think that that's advice for everybody, but I do think there are people who need to hear that. What are your parting words of wisdom to new and aspiring dungeon masters out there? Okay, I'll try not to get emotional. If you're wanting to dungeon master you have a story you want to tell or you're, you want to get a group of people together, there is no barrier for entry. There is no bar. There's no knowledge gap that's too, too wide. Get people around you that you enjoy spending time with that are fun and just do it for fun. Do it to have a good time. Share a fun experience. Make it about the experience, not about the story, not about defeating the players, not about like a game, just have a fun, just get together, hang out. We need to connect as people so badly right now. And, and if, if you're letting like a lack of knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons hold you back, like if you're, you're not an expert in all the rules, it's okay to stop and, and figure what the rule is. It's also okay to just go, well, you know, let's not waste our time reading the book. Let's just like, if this is okay with you guys, let's just do that. Like give stuff to your, your players more than you take stuff. If you don't know whether what they rolled is a succeed or a fail, just make it a succeed. You know what I mean? There's no reason to hurt your players for lack of knowledge. And there's no reason to set yourself up as an adversary to your players. So that's my advice. If you want to DM, don't let anything hold you back. If you want to create a podcast 
and you have the ability, if you want to make something, you have the capacity to make it and it ultimately puts good as good vibes out there. Flip and make it. Don't hold back. Don't let anybody tell you that you're less, that you can't, you're not smart enough, you're not well-read enough, you're not old enough, you're not uh, the right type of person to lead, you're not conf- confrontational enough, you know, you're not creative. Like, ah, oh, man, bump all that noise. Shut it all up. If you're listening, that's what you want to do. Man, flip and do it. I hope you do. I'm rooting for you. You know, I know Derek's rooting for you. So this show's called How Not to DM. The most definitive way not to DM is to never do it. One of my favorite quotes, the best way not to fail is to be of no use to anybody ever, especially yourself. So. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. I'm going to use that one. Dude, this was an absolute blast. Thank you for the conversation. It was. uh, Okay. Current project you're working on Titans season three right now. Has that started recording yet? It has. We have recorded over four episodes. All right. So Titans season three coming soon. I just released something today. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like as we're, as we're talking, I released a two hour autopsy going over seasons one and two to get people ready for season three. Cause it's been a year since we published anything, knowing that we were going to have this conversation Derek, I used you as a incentive for myself to really drive myself to finish. I've been, I've been working on these episodes for a long time. If you're listening to this, they're all probably out uh, at this point. Go check it out. The first four episodes, very unique. You, you don't have to listen to our entire backlog. If you want to catch up, you can just listen to that, uh, that season one and two autopsy that me and my brother did. We break down the big events of the previous two seasons. Although it's really, we don't have very long seasons, so it's, it, it wouldn't take a, a ton to catch up. It's true. I think I, I listened to all of season two in the past week in preparation for this, so it wasn't too bad. If the first four episodes of season three are out, then you won't even have to worry about any cliffhangers. So you'll jump from season two right into season three. Although it'll be, it's, it'll be insane because like season two ended with us recording remotely, me doing absolutely no post-production. And uh, yeah, so that was the, and then we're jumping into season three with probably like the beefiest post-production job I've ever done on any podcast. And I'm very proud of it. Very excited to share it. So yeah, I'm pumped, man. Season three is an absolute romp. It's a super fun blast. So I'm, I'm pumped to get back in and to share the world. It is the final season of Titans of Altera. So I'm going to let it last as long as it needs to. I'm not putting an episode number on it. I'm not putting a date on it episodes will release somewhat sporadically. I'm not doing weekly anymore. My main goal is to let this story end the way it's supposed to give it the time and the breadth that it needs and the quality that I will be satisfied with as a creator. Titans is your current project. You're, you're, you're starting season three, not sure how long it's going to take, but it's going to come to a very cinematic and satisfying ending. Looking forward to that. Any other projects that you've got on your horizon with that in mind? And where can we find your work? On most things online, I'm Joshua the Hippie. You can also just search like Joshua Warmer. That's I'm I most of my stuff is under my name. I'm not very good at hiding myself on the internet. So you can find me on Twitter, Joshua the Hippie. That's probably where I'm most socially active. I don't really do Instagram. I've given up Facebook. Titans has a Discord. You can find Titans of Altera, the Titan Pod. Patreon.com forward slash the Titan pod is kind of our only web presence. We have a Twitter account at the Titan pod. I'm hoping to have our website up and running again. 
uh, in the next month. So if that's up and running, it's the titanpod.com. So that's where you can find us for the most part. Awesome. And uh, I'll probably snag a Discord invite from you that doesn't expire just that I can throw in the episode notes in case anyone wants to jump in on the action. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, Josh, it's been so much fun. At the beginning of my deciding to do this three months ago, I make it sound like it's been a long time. I set up a Trello board and I had a few columns and I was like, people I've reached out to, people that I've scheduled. On the very left-hand side, there was the dream guests, all right? You were the first one I put on there, so I I feel like I checked no. the box. Yeah. What? Yeah. Ah oh, man, that you're too kind. I'm a I sh- I shouldn't be a dream guest. That's a uh, well. Thank you very much. Uh, that's very kind. I'm glad that I could help you check that box. <laughs> Seriously, dude, uh, Derek, you seem like a great guy. I've very much enjoyed connecting with you. This seems like a super cool, fun thing that you're doing. Thank you so much for inviting me and for connecting. I hope I hope we stay in touch. Thanks for listening to How Not to DM. A couple of quick announcements and then we'll get to our featured DM War Story of the Week. If you have any questions for past guests on my show, join my Discord server. It's a great place to start a conversation about running the game with a lot of knowledgeable people. For 10% off your next Impulse Dice purchase, visit adventuredice.ca and use my code HN2DM at checkout. They're based in Canada, so take advantage of the great exchange rate if you're from the States. Links to Adventure Dice and Discord are in the episode notes. Also, I've recently delved into D&D TikTok. You can find me there under at HN, the number two, DM. Let's get to our DM war story. This featured story comes from Jeff, patron of Biscuits, that's at the fake Noctis on Twitter. This is what Jeff says. This is fairly short and sweet and was single-handedly one of my worst moments as a DM. I introduced the big bad at the beginning of the game, a wizard of epic level. This was 3rd edition, mind you. One of my players took advantage of my naive nature and snuck a poison into the game, and within 10 minutes of its starting, they killed the wizard dead with it. I wouldn't DM another game for 10 years after that. In the words of Zuko, that's rough, buddy. But really, I know this is a mistake that a lot of DMs make, but you just have to be prepared for your players to totally do something out of left field and... Be okay with that. And if you're going to put your precious villains too close to the party, who knows what's about to happen. So tough lesson to learn. Sorry it took uh, you so long to get back in the saddle, but thanks for sharing with us, Jeff. As always, my intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, a.k.a. Mr. Tape. Make sure to check him out on Spotify. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.